It's a nice idea. The power of laughter is a cure to our heightened present, hemmed in as we are by the thought of competing existential threats. It's also a delusion of mind-bending proportions to earnestly urge the good-hearted, cruelly misled folks of Brexit Britain to giggle their way back to sanity by dropping a score on whimsical musicals is an almost Dickensian note of paternal condescension. It's also the impulse that lies right at the heart of the emaciated liberal response to unavoidably political times. Wow, cutting words there. Are they your own? No, those are the words of Francesco Garcia, writing about political satire in Vice on the 14th of August 2018. It seems that for Garcia, laughter and jokes are no longer appropriate in what he views as an insane world. And in fact, that being made to laugh is a kind of insult by the comedian, or writer of whimsical musicals, an attempt to jolly audiences out of what cannot be escaped. Perhaps we shouldn't be laughing at all anymore. Well, speaking of not laughing at all, welcome to (laughs) this month's podcast, where we are talking about satire and laughter. On this, our podcast, we are, as ever, busy cannibalising, repurposing and rehashing our ongoing project, Satire, Births, Deaths and Legacies, in a desperate bid to amass quantifiable impact for our research, and also talking about the form, function and future of satire. I'm Jo War, a lecturer in 19th century literature at York St John University. And I am called Adam Smith. And I am a lecturer in 18th century literature at York St. John University. And in a little while, we'll be joined by Dr. Kate Davison from the University of Sheffield, who is a lecturer in long 18th century history and is working on a book about humour and society in 18th century Britain. I feel like we talk a lot about the 18th century, don't we? It's almost as if we had some sort of covert agenda to talk about the 18th century literally all of the time on this podcast. Huh. (laughs) I really hadn't noticed that, but I guess it makes sense for our first season to spend a lot of time in the 18th century. It was, after all, the great age of satire. So I've had a little idea to try and contain some of this chat about the 18th century in a new segment in the podcast called What is the 18th Century? What is the 18th century? And why? One thing that puzzles me is why, if you love the 18th century so much, you're always quoting John Dryden, who is palpably not from it. Oh, yes, he was. No. No. (laughs) I looked it up when we were planning all of this spontaneous dialogue, and he was actually, I think you'll find, born in 1631 and died in 1700, which makes him clearly from the 17th century. Not so. He lived in the 18th century for at least 12 years. Adam, that makes no sense at all. Unless you're alluding to that idea of the long 18th century. That's absolutely right. I'm alluding to that idea of the long 18th century. So it's typical in 18th century studies to use a slightly different convention of measurement, which we refer to as the long 18th century. So this usually stretches from the Glorious Revolution to the French Revolution. So specifically 1688 to 1799. The logic being that the continuities across this period are so strong, it would make little sense to artificially sever them in the interests of periodisation. So if you ignore the rules of time and periodisation, then even Dryden, even Dryden is an 18th century thing. I'm afraid that that is the case, yes. Wow. What is the 18th century? And why? So, what will our 18th century expert of the month be talking about? Kate's going to be talking about laughter and its role in social life and political processes, and about the London-based satirist Edward Ned Ward. Ned Ward. But first, let's talk a little bit about laughter. What? is that what is that well i suppose what francisco garcia seems to suggest is that it's a bit like when martin tickles horrible grandma in friday night dinner i don't know if you've seen that excellent sitcom when he tickles her out of her bad mood 
he seems to suggest it's something like that, like a gag-firing comedian manipulates us out of the misery that we should be feeling by force-feeding us jokes until we laugh almost against our will, which is an interesting reading of, of laughter. But it's also focused on laughter that's almost semi-automatically produced rather than laughter at satire, isn't it? Yeah, so is laughing at satire a delusion of mind-bending proportions? Or does that just apply to laughing at rubbish things? Well, and indeed, some comedians and satirists are wondering whether laughter should or actually has to become more important than actual biting satire. Nish Kumar, interviewed in The Guardian in March 2019, offers a different but perhaps no less bleak perspective. And he quotes Stuart Lee saying, if you're doing comedy for anxious liberals, well, those people need a laugh right now. And the article goes on to explain that Kumar suggests that a couple of years ago there was a sense that if you were a lefty, you had to push your audience and challenge their assumptions. But actually the news is doing that now. So why not just let those anxious liberals have a fun night? It's quite an interesting suggestion there that Nish Kumar would know anything about comedy. Isn't it? But, uh, <laughs> I take that back as he, he might be on the podcast one day. So we either laugh to take a break from crying... Or we laugh because we're mindless idiots manipulated by an emaciated liberal response. It's either futile distraction or it's offensively blind and mindless. Whoa. John Dryden said that satire is medicine, but is laughter actually not the best medicine? Is it more like trying to cure the cholera of the modern age with a nice bit of cake? Maybe it's a placebo. Or I guess my students on Sick Novels module might recognise it as a prophylactic or preventive measure. Maybe we should revise the idiom and say that laughter is the best prophylactic measure. I don't know what that is because I'm not fortunate enough to be one of the students on your much praised second year module sick novels at York St John University, Joe. And because I'm woefully uninformed generally, I don't know. So what do you even mean? Well, my whimsical revision of the adage that laughter is the best medicine referred to different kinds of response you can have to disease or more specifically to the threat of disease that you're already known to be at risk of getting. So a preventive or prophylactic measure would be something you did to fend off the disease like a vaccine or whatever. So if you're already vulnerable to or experiencing a disaster, laughter might help fend it off? Yeah, it wouldn't though, would it? It actually wouldn't. So maybe laughter isn't any kind of cure. Because if we'd laughed more in the past, that wouldn't have changed anything, I don't think. And laughter now, can that help? Can it fend off viral dismay and despair and Brexit? Hmm. Well, that actually reminds me of another thing that Stuart Lee has said. And he said it in an episode of Comedy Vehicle that was specifically about satire. Oh, well, that's fortunate. And also, this is a good place to say Stuart Lee does have our email address. I'm sure he's received our messages, our carrier pigeons, our magical owls and begging letters. So I imagine that he'll be in touch very soon to hammer out the details of his appearance on this podcast. And I'm sure the rest of them will too. All, all the satirists. You've seen them down by the corn exchange. All the satirists. Another lovely quotation there. And anyway, what Stuart Lee said was that he's not interested in laughs. What I'm aiming for, he said, is a temporary mass liberal consensus that dissolves on contact with air. Yeah, I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, because Stuart Lee's interesting on laughter, isn't he? Because he will also berate an audience for laughing at the wrong thing or not laughing enough or not laughing at all. He is interested in every sense in laughs. But again, is that idea in a different form, perhaps, that idea of laughter as perhaps an inappropriate or an inadequate response? What sorts of things make you laugh, Joe? Uh, oh, lots of things. Uh, no, don't answer that, actually, uh, okay. because I've got a new feature for the podcast, a special game called Adam's Funny Game. <laughs> Adam's Funny Game. 
So what's going to happen in this game is it's a sequel to the game I played in the last episode where I made made try to make you laugh at, at inappropriate images. Is uh, no, you tried to make you describe them. Oh, so that, that was yeah. what I was trying to do. Yeah, try and make yeah. you describe inappropriate images. So what I've got, got now is I've actually got a list of a several several scenarios right. where one might laugh. And what I've also got here is a index of laughter, which I've written, which has got 12 different types of laugh. And if the listeners at home want to follow this carefully, uh, we'll put the index up on the website, but we won't read it out now for no. uh, the reasons of time and comedy. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll just say which kind of laugh I would do. Yeah. Great. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, number one. Someone reads out a cracker joke at your Christmas family Christmas dinner. I don't know, is it? I don't know if it's any of those. Everyone goes like, oh, no, very good. Yeah, that's you can say polite titter. Polite maybe. titter, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Number two, you're in a meeting with a mortgage advisor. It's quite intense, and they go in their bag to retrieve a pen, but then a toilet roll falls out and unravels itself across their desk. A laughter in your mind, but no physical laughter. Very good. Okay. Or smiling for no reason. Number three, you're having a serious conversation, but the person you're talking to means to say self-deprecating, but they keep say saying self-deprecating. self-defecating. Yeah. Uh, laughter in your mind, but no physical laughter. Okay. You're looking at someone who's very angry with you, but a piece of snot is hanging out of their nose. Um, no laughter, just um, schadenfreude. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're on a bus and a man is sitting next to you. His legs are wide apart and you're having to hunch in the corner so as not to touch him. He's listening to music so loudly you can hear it coming out of his headphones. You listen carefully. You have to listen that carefully because it's so yeah. loud. And the song is Cotton Eye Joe. Right. So what I'm laughing at, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't laugh. I'd no just reaction. Think, no, it's not I funny, wouldn't. Is it? Well, I'd, I'd be too annoyed already. Yeah, too annoyed to laugh. Yeah. A cat falling off a chair. Um, hmm. A cat falling. Genuine titter, probably. Okay, you're in, you're in a lab working with two scientists. One of the scientists suddenly panics because they've realised they've lost an electron. The other one quickly <laughs> quips, "Well, you should have kept a better eye on them." I don't know. I'm trying to think what I normally do when I'm in a science laboratory with my two science friends. And someone does and a they pun. do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, genuine titter. <laughs> a door being slammed in the face of a demanding toddler. <laughs> uh, it's sustained a lot. No, ro- <laughs> they're rolling on the floor. They're rolling on the floor laughing. Yeah. You're at a poetry. In context. <laughs> you're at a poetry reading, but the poem you're listening to is quite sweary and it goes on for an uncomfortably long period of time. Right. To be honest, the poem's quite bad. But it's delivered with absolute earnesty. <laughs> um, well, could, th- it, the same. You, you'd be trying to suppress it, but then you wouldn't be able to suppress it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A cat so falling in a bath. A cat falling in a bath. Full of water. There's water in the bath. Probably could fall. Could fall at that. You're at a and a and the person doing the roving mic falls over. <laughs> um, I want to say sympathetic smile, but I don't think it would be. Mm. No, I do sympathetic smile and then laugh mm. about it later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> laugh about it later yeah. should be an option, yeah. Um, you're served by a grumpy and patronising barman. He seems <laughs> angry about having to fetch the card machine to facilitate your contactless payment. Then, as he goes to hand you your pint, he catches it on the pumps and spills it on himself. <laughs> um, a guffaw, but hopefully with enough time elapsed that he wouldn't see it. <laughs> Someone makes a joke that you were about to make. Uh, just anger. Anger. <laughs> a cat doing a meow that sounds like a person. Um, well, if it was my cat, I'd just be like, oh, you're going to wank her again. Um, <laughs> you're standing at a carvery. I don't know if you go to carveries. I have been to Yeah, so you're standing at a carvery and a four-year-old child comes up to you and starts dancing. You quickly realise the child is singing the explicit lyrics 
to one of Lady Gaga's songs, specifically the lyric, I want to have a ride on your disco stick. <laughs> um, oh, that's difficult. Probably genuine titter. Genuine titter. I mean, you can't, you can't just guffaw. Can no, you? no. Yeah. And yeah. also because it would take you a while to realise that's what they were singing. Because yeah. you'd probably be singing it wrong and in like a innocent child's voice. So you'd, you'd be processing <laughs> it for a while, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay, you're watching a lecture, but the AV stops working. You're not the lecturer, you're, okay. you're in the audience. The lecturer calls for technical support, and eventually a person from the AV team arrives. Right. They go behind the lectern to access the tech cupboard, but the lecturer, who is also stood behind the lectern, continues to give the lecture as though nothing is happening. Right. However, from your vantage point, you can see the top of the AV person's head, and it looks <laughs> as if the lecturer is secretly the recipient of gentle fellatio. <laughs> um is there an option for shouting while example. you're down there? Not, <laughs> um, not a real example, yeah. I'd be working hard to suppress the laugh, I think. And it might might just burst out laughing. <laughs> okay, last one. A cat wearing a tie. No reaction. No reaction. Okay. No, I'm not interested in that. Okay, so a few different types of laugh yeah. there for a few different types of scenario. <laughs> Adam's funny game. So what... One of the things that was quite difficult about that um, that that funny game was that it's difficult to think hypothetically about what you might laugh at and how you might respond when you aren't laughing at that thing. But also that laughter is social and that it would depend who was there. It would depend how strong the prohibition on actually bursting out laughing was. And that can also make you laugh more um, perversely. But but laughing depends who's around you, doesn't it? Massively. Mm. I know someone else associated with the 18th century who oh, said something about social laughter. Yeah. Who's A- that? Adam Smith. Oh, not you. We've done that already. What the? You didn't write any of these things. They're not your words. Not this Adam Smith. The other one. The, oh. The one from the 18th century. The Even author. I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, the author of Wealth of Nations. Um, oh, yeah, the one on the, the slippery £20 notes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a good yeah. joke, though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He wrote about laughter as well, part of his theory of moral sentiments. He said this. He said, He who laughs at the same joke and laughs along with me cannot well deny the propriety of my laughter. On the contrary, the person who, upon these different occasions, either feels no such emotion as that which I feel, or feels none that bears any proportion to mine, cannot avoid disapproving my sentiments on account of their dissonance with his own. If I laugh loud and heartily when he only smiles, or on the contrary, only smile when he laughs loud and heartily, as soon as he comes from considering the object, the object of his laughter, to observe how I am affected by it, according as there is no more or less disproportion between his sentiments and mine, I must incur a greater or less degree of his disapprobation. Disapprobation. (laughs) And upon all occasions, his own sentiments are the standards and measures by which he judges of mine. Right, let's, so let's unpack that. Let's unpack that a little yeah. bit, yeah. Do you, want, do you want to unpack it first? Or well, uh, yeah, well, I, sp- uh, I suppose we could unpack it together. So, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, somebody who laughs at the same thing as you can't say that the thing that you're laughing at is inappropriate. Yep. But if he doesn't laugh and you do, then he... he say, well, does he cannot avoid disapproving my sentiments on account of their dissonance with his own and doesn't allow for the possibility that maybe he just doesn't find it funny he assumes that someone who doesn't laugh at what you laugh at must be disapproving of you and and the same works the other way around which yeah. is a much quicker way of saying it than he said it that's right yeah, yeah. so if you're laughing with someone it's a bond isn't it yeah. whereas if you're laughing and the other person isn't laughing it's a dissonance so laughing has a social function but also the absence of laughter is important because that's true isn't it if somebody doesn't laugh when you're laughing loads yeah. then that introduces some tension oh, 
I suppose on a bit on a broad scale, if loads of people are laughing at one thing and some people aren't, then you're back yeah. to the sort of echo chamber discussions we were having earlier in the season. Well, from earlier in the season to now in the season, let's give Kate Davison a call. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Kate, um, let's start with um, something hopefully easy. Well, uh, but but is it? Why why do people laugh? If you were to look at modern theory, what currently people think, people say that laughter is uh, essentially about um, social communication, actually. Um, it's not necessarily about laughing at jokes, but it's a sort of signal, like other kinds of speech acts that we use to communicate with each other. And that's come out of the recognition, really, that people laugh for lots of reasons and not just because they find things funny. They might laugh because we're nervous, worried, surprised, fill some silences in conversation, show that we agree with something or show that we think something's stupid. So it's social then, and because it's social, sometimes it's going to be inappropriate, sometimes it's going to be appropriate. Sometimes it's going to be appropriate, but actually... You have to you have to pretend to be laughing just to fulfil that social function. So that would be like a kind of when you go, ha, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a sort of way to to show that you get the joke, I guess. If you're in on something, uh, a way to mark out who's in on the joke and who's maybe not. Um, it's the difference between laughing with, I suppose, and and laughing at, which is much more aggressive. Did commentators in the 18th century have any thoughts about what laughter was or why people laughed? So actually, the 18th century is where one of the main theories of, of laughter sort of uh, was, was fleshed out more fully um, by a guy called Francis Hutcheson, who was a, a philosopher based at Glasgow University. And so the theory uh, that he's best known for is known as incongruity. And that's about laughing because we perceive sort of surprising juxtapositions uh, things that are a bit out of place, things that might surprise us by their incongruous appearance, I suppose. So one of the things that he particularly picks up on is when you bring together two ideas that are, so one would be uh, quite decent and kind of fancy, if you like, uh, and the other one, he talks about meanness, basically something rougher and ruder. So bringing together higher thoughts with lower lower ideas. Um, and so he talks about the example of uh, the dirtying of a decent dress, he calls it. Um, or when somebody particularly graceful falls over, those kinds of things. He also talks about the um, surprising similarities between two different objects. So a kind of unsuitable assemblage of ideas. I guess, I mean, this is the incongruity theory that he's best known for. It's probably the one that holds the most weight still amongst modern theorists. So that kind of surprising similarity, I guess you can look at you know, something quite silly like the, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. jokes uh, run off a lot of these, you know, Dr. Dr. I feel like a pair of curtains. That sort of surprising similarity between yourself needing to pull yourself together and a pair of curtains also being something that could be pulled together. But the thing's interesting about what Hutchison was doing um, in an 18th century context is that he was really arguing against one of the other big theories of laughter, uh, which is known as the superiority theory, which uh, is often attributed to Thomas Hobbes. It's a much nastier, crueler, conception of laughter this idea that we laugh basically when we perceive ourselves to be better than the thing that we are laughing at so Hobbes talks about laughter as sudden glory right that sudden thrill that we get when when we see ourselves as better than something Hmm. Um, and that's quite a nasty conception of laughter and I guess what Hutchison was doing was pointing out that a that doesn't account for all laughter he says that you know when we're with our friends we laugh but that doesn't necessarily mean that we think we're better than them 
things like that. But it's also, you know, part of an 18th century philosophy being a bit more optimistic about human nature, that we're sort of instinctively benevolent. And therefore, we're, we're naturally inclined to seek out and do things that bring pleasantness to us and others. So this connection between laughter and feelings of superiority ties in quite neatly to discussions about satire. And the relationship between satire and humour is, as we've discussed lots of times, is a complicated one. Kate, do you think satire has to be funny? Well, no, I don't think satire does have to be funny. Uh, It doesn't have to make you laugh out loud, that's for sure. Uh, Certainly, when you think about a lot of graphic satire from the 18th century, it's, it's really not funny at all. Some of James Gilray's depictions of you know, French revolutionaries, you know, they're horrible, graphic, grotesque. They're more likely to prompt disgust rather than laughter, Um, but they're still seen as satire. In that sense, I don't think all satire has to be funny, but I would say I think it probably can help. You know, provoking laughter is is a good way to entertain people, uh, something that they can enjoy. The things often said about satire in in the 18th century is that it's, it's entertaining and instructive that there's something to to enjoy, but there's also a kind of takeaway lesson. One of the phrases that uh, I've seen in the work that I've looked at is talking about satire that tickles as it hurt, that it kind of uh, gives you something to laugh about, but also attacks something as well. So where does Ned Ward fit into all of this? He's probably best known as a bit of a Grub Street hack. Um, so he's not a part of the literary canon, but someone who who was really a beneficiary of the expansion of print culture in the early 18th century. He's uh, originally from the Midlands, probably Leicestershire, uh, moved to London by about 1690. And there he kind of sets about making a living from writing. And that went quite well for him. He had a couple of big successes, most notably something called The London Spy, which was a 18-part walkabout, walkabout tour of the metropolis. And um, basically he describes what he sees, right? The high life and the low. And there's a kind of central irony to that work that at the time when London's supposed to be a great city, centre of urbanity, global trading networks, height of civilization, all the rest of it. As he's walking around, he can kind of find none of that. Um, it's much more focused on the sort of uh, you know street life and the ordinary folks so yeah then he kind of uh, he runs into a few difficulties for criticizing the government winds up on trial for seditious libel has to do a stint in the pillory um, and essentially after that he kind of returns to a bit of a steadier living running ale houses taverns and then um, coffee houses but he continues to write as well I guess the question yeah would could he be considered uh, a satirist um, yes um, I would say he certainly is He's got a very keen eye for sort of social pretensions, hypocrisies, um, foibles. So his targets were like pretension, hypocrisy, injustice? Yeah, yeah, all kinds of things. I suppose he's often attacking people in those sort of character types as a kind of general satire rather than attacking specific individuals. But also, yeah, political figures too. And that's, that's how he winds up getting into trouble is by attacking the government and particularly uh, Queen Anne for not following through on her promises when she became queen. Uh, and if that's actually what he does is he, he likens her words to a fart and like, <laughs> gets them in a bit of hot water. What yeah. makes you laugh, Kate? Um, you know, I'm a sucker for a pun or political jokes and, and memes based on what's currently going on. You know, there's plenty of material there. And, and what is a political meme, if not the evolution of the 18th century satirical print like we were discussing in the last episode uh... with Wendy McGlashan? Well, thank you ever so much, Kate. That's been so useful and such a pleasure to talk to you, hasn't it, Joe? It has. Thank you, Kate. As my dad literally does say when it's time to stop doing something that's fun, right, that's it, we've laughed. So let's just wrap this episode up with a bit of information about where people can find us and our work online. Please, Adam, do that now. 
Folks can find us at Satire No More as well as individually on Twitter. Uh, I'm Adam Smith at Elemental Adam. You're Joe War. That's right. At War underscore JS. Yep. Um, and folks can find us uh, using the following words in the search engine of their choice Satire, births, deaths, legacies in any particular order. That will direct them to their website where they can find details of podcasts past and podcasts still to come. And still to come is our finale. We'll be talking next month about satire and women. Uh, we'll be reflecting on the various lessons we've learned about that subject on the podcast so far. We'll be discussing the times when women are silenced, the times when they're satirised, and what happens when they perform their own satire. And we'll be doing that with Professor Karen Harvey, who is Director for the Centre of 18th Century Studies at the University of Birmingham. And also, as it's the last podcast in the season, we'll be allowed to bring in games. Well, we won't be bringing in any games. This is a serious business. We never play games on this podcast. Well, we did play games. Didn't we played a game this time. What and game? Also last time we did what? your we did your pictures, didn't we? Oh, we Adam, Adam's funny game. That's right. Yeah. Well, that was that was pedagogically sound. Was it? <laughs> as is everything on this podcast. Um, yeah. So yeah. Satire so, is serious. Satire is serious. So listen up, step up, and stay satirical, kids. And as ever, if you if you're enjoying the podcast, or if you're just aware of the podcast, if you've listened to it even by accident, please do. Let us know. Hit us up on our socials and let us know that you're aware of the podcast because if you tell us what you think of it and tell us that you're listening to it, that can help us to evidence the dissemination that's happening, the reach that we're having, um, the impact that we're having. And these are all the things that we need to get a second season, aren't they? So, but yes, for now, goodbye and tune in next month. Goodbye, listeners. Bye.